You're listening to the Ministry 127 Podcast, a ministry of Pastor Paul Chapel and Lancaster Baptist Church. Today's podcast is about seven qualities of a servant leader with Dr. Rick Martin. Dr. Martin went to Iloilo City, Philippines in September 1977. There he started the Iloilo Baptist Church and Iloilo Baptist College in 1978. Since then, God has blessed in a unique way, and the members of Iloilo Baptist Church have seen hundreds of churches started as a result of their efforts. I want to go to the root of the problem of why we don't accomplish, at least from my perspective, of why I don't accomplish sometimes what God has led me to do. And um, I'll give an example. Years ago, I was about maybe 20 years ago, I was in a missions conference and met another missionary who was a very nice man. And uh, he was having a very difficult time raising his support to go to his country. And he asked me, um, I said, could I just spend a little bit of time this week? We'll talk about it. And, and we did. And, but he began to tell me about all of his problems that he had. And he'd gone to this church, and they, you know, he thought they would help him. And he went to this church, and this happened, and he went to that. And finally, by the end of the week, I, I, I didn't have the... Um, I should have told him this. I'd been a better friend if I had, but I, what I should have told him was the problem is you. And so often when I've looked back at the failures that I've had in the ministry, I've really had to look in the mirror and say the problem is me. And um, I, I, love, I love the story of Joseph. I'm going to use him today. I, I, Brother Roulette um, spoke about him last night. To me, he, he, he's a fascinating character. Uh, as a missionary, it, it's very interesting. I realize he was not a missionary, but as a, he did go to a foreign country. And uh, when he first went there, he was a slave. He, 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 he went from a, being a slave to the head over Potiphar's house. He went from being a prisoner to the prime minister of the country. In the beginning, nobody was following him. But by the time it all ended, everybody in that country was following his leadership. And uh, he's a great example of Christ-likeness in many ways. I want to share some of those things from God's Word. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 39, and we'll start at verse number 6. The Bible says in chapter 39, verse 6, And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. The Bible says that everything that Potiphar had was in the hands of Joseph. Now, why would Potiphar do that? Uh, look at chapter 39, verse 22. The Bible says there, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Again, the Bible says all that he had. The prison, the, 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 prison, uh, the warden of the prison put everything into the hands of a prisoner of all people. And again, let's look down at uh, chapter uh, 41, verse number 44. The Bible says, And Joseph said, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. In verse 55, And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. The Bible says, for example, I mean, uh, 
why, why would they do this? Why would all these people allow a person who was a slave or someone that had gotten out of prison, an ex-con, or you might say it, why would they allow him to lead everything they had? And that is just because I believe that the, the most important quality and the first quality of a servant leader is that he can be trusted. He is trustworthy. Somehow, in a very short time, Joseph was able to convince the people that he worked with that he was very trustworthy. The Bible says that Potiphar did not even know how much he had. If his wife came and said, uh, honey, can I go out and can I spend some money? uh, She said, well, just ask Joseph. Whatever he says, it's okay. When he got in the prison, uh, he was the keeper. He was like the keeper of the prison himself. And they had a new prisoner came in, and one of the guards says, what are you going to do about this guy? And he's, you know, he's causing a problem. Just go ask Joseph. Whatever Joseph says, it's okay. When he, when Joseph became the prime minister of the country, and, and the famine was in the land, and really the, the um, ruler of Egypt, I mean, he, he, although he was like a dictator, he still had the possibility of having a revolt or a problem because of the famine just uh, was so bad. And yet when people came and said, what are we going to do about this, this group from this part of Israel, or this, these people from southern Egypt, wherever the, the, the place was located, he would, he would say, well, just go to Joseph. Whatever Joseph says to do, do it. You know, you'd be surprised what people will do for you when they trust you. Trust, I believe, is when people know that you have their best interests at heart. Trust is when you would, you would never try to get someone to do something, just advance what you need to have done, but you always do what is good for your follower. And if, if we want, if I want people to trust me or to follow me, I have to prove to them that I have their best interests at heart. And Joseph was just that kind of person. Uh, why did Potiphar trust Joseph with everything that he had? because he knew that every decision he made would be based on what was best for Potiphar, not himself. And, you know, we trust people because they're honest. And it's so important to never, um, never betray that trust with people. Have you heard the story about the uh, guys at the airport? They were, they were unloading these, these uh, luggage, and they unloaded all this luggage, and, and this one piece of luggage came out. Actually, it was a cage, and, and they looked down. There was this dog in the cage, but the dog had died. It was a dead dog, and so they went outside, and they said, what are we going to do, man? These owners are going to kill us if we, if we tell them their dog died. So they, uh, this other guy said, there's no problem. Let's go out. So they went outside, and people are waiting for their dog or waiting for their, uh, their uh, luggage, and he said, sir, we've got a problem. We've, we, your luggage is lost, but it's in another city. And uh, it'll be here tomorrow, and we'll bring it out to your house. We know where it is. So the guy said, great, great, that's okay. So uh, Heather guy, when they're walking back to where the luggage was, he said, why did you tell that guy that our luggage is lost? I mean, you know, what are we going to, I mean, you found it. What are we going to do? He said, just come with me. So we went around the city, and they looked and looked, and finally they found this dog that looked just exactly like that other dog. And he picked that dead dog out and threw it out in the trash can and put that dog in there and went out the next day to the house and knocked on the door. And the guy comes up to the door and, and um, opens the door and says, sir, we, we've got your dog. Here it is. We're, you know, you can have it now. And we found it. And it's, it's okay. We hope, we're sorry for the delay. And the guy looked down and said, that is not my dog. He said, what do you mean it's not your dog? Of course it is. We just found it in, in this place in the other city. And we got it here. And he said, that's not my dog. He said, how do you know it's not your dog? And he said, well, my dog died while we're on vacation. We brought him home to bury him. And, and you know, it's so important that we're honest. I got all these dog stories in the Philippines. Dogs are a very interesting subject. The, fir- the first dog we had was named Buster. My wife loved that dog. I didn't really care for him. 
was a mutt. But my dog was, my wife was a little bit lonely when we first got there, and so she got this dog, and one day our neighbor hit him with a Jeep. And uh, so I went to investigate what happened, and it wasn't very good. I went home, and my wife said, how's he doing? I said, oh, not that great. And is he going to make it? Well, there's a problem. What's that? And she, I said, well, honey, the problem was when I went there, the head of the dog was over here. The rest of the body was over here, and I don't think he's going to make it. And uh, they ate our dog. And then we went to, uh, we got another dog, we got a German Shepherd. A, a missionary went home and left a beautiful black German Shepherd. He got poisoned by our neighbors. And then we got another dog, I named him after my brother, Rusty. And uh, Rusty bit my son and got rabies. The dog got rabies from my son. And he died the next day. He really did die. So actually, my son had to get rabies shots. And we got this dog named Lucky. Um, brother Godfrey will like this story. We got uh, Lucky, good old Lucky. Our, our, the director of BIMI was there to visit us one time. This is like 1980. This is before Brother Sisk was our general director. Came there and preached in our church. I won't tell you all the story, but Lucky bit this, our general director while he was preaching. And uh, so uh, it's a miracle I'm still with that mission board, <laughs> believe me. But uh, we finally had this other dog named Mickey. Mickey's the one I want to tell you this story about for this illustration. Mickey was my, my, my daughter's favorite dog. I did not like Mickey for several reasons, but Mickey was a very spiritual dog. She, she liked, he liked to go to church. And uh, so I was always worried about that. He'd always come out to church. One day, I went out Sunday morning, and it was just the worst time possible. People were coming into church, had visitors and stuff, and Mickey was right inside the front door. And I looked over at Mickey, and I said, I'm trying to be nice, you know how you try to, Mickey, come here, and Mickey's kind of going like that, you know, and, Mickey, I love you. I'm not gonna... Mickey, I've got some food for you. Gonna... All of a sudden, my daughter walked up from behind me and went like that. Mickey, and didn't turn around and walked away. Mickey just falls. My my daughter. And she, she he our dog trusted my daughter, did not trust me. And you know that's it's the truth. I mean, people preachers can get up and preach the same hard type of message. And some people just, you know, and other people just follow. And the reason is because they trust us. Most important, I believe, the most important uh, quality of a leader is that they can be trusted. The second one, second quality is uh, a servant leader has a good attitude. A servant leader doesn't complain about his problems, but is optimistic and looks for opportunities in difficult times. Uh, in chapter 39, verse 20, Joseph's example is the fact that he was thrown into prison unjustly. And by the way, every, every person here, every pastor here, most of you I, I would think are pastors, has been accused falsely of something, I'm sure. But, and, and we have to overcome that. But never do you hear about Joseph complaining about his problems. Because, uh, you know, and if anybody had a right to complain, it'd be Joseph. He was a foreigner in a... In a uh, distant land as a slave. He was accused falsely of uh, doing something to Potiphar's wife. He was, he, as Brother Lillette said last night, he, was, uh, he helped the butler get out of prison and he was rewarded with ingratitude, but he never complains. He always had a good attitude. He was always looking to help other people. He was a servant. He, when he got into prison, he couldn't solve his problem, but he could solve somebody else's. You know, I've had some problems the past year that I could not really solve myself but there were some problems of our members and people that I knew that I could solve their problems. And I'm sure there's someone here today that, uh, that you could help. And everybody's probably got something in your ministry that you just can't figure out how to solve it. 
you have to have God do it for you. But at the same time, I can think of our students in our Bible school there that so often it's just really easy for me to take 10 minutes and solve a problem and they, that they can't, but I can. And uh, Joseph was like that. He got into the prison and, and um, he, he just did the best he could. You know, he doesn't complain. And uh, our, our great Savior said, be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. And he was always a, he was always, a, uh, he was um, always blessed of God because he, uh, Joseph was, because he did not complain. And people, it's kind of a secret, people don't like to be around complainers. They like to be around people, kids especially. I love kids. I love, if I went to a conference like this, I would rather spend my time with the teenagers than any group of people just because I'm kind of dumb like they are, you know. But uh, I love being around kids. And, and they like to be around, I've noticed, they like to be around people that are fun. It doesn't mean that we can't get serious with them, of course, but they love, they, they love to be around people to have a good spirit. And the result of Joseph's attitude is so important because while he was entrusted with the prison, instead of being negative, he decided to make the prison a better place to be. And he started helping the prisoners, and maybe his attitude was, you know, if, if we help these guards, you know, maybe they'll be better to us. And um, he didn't realize it, but his servant attitude solved his own problem that he could not solve. It got him out of prison, finally, by helping the uh, butler. It took a couple of years, but it solved his problem. And the thing that is so important for us when we have a difficult uh, problem to solve, something in our lives that's uh, very, very hard, is that there's an opportunity there somewhere. I think about our missionary in Haiti we sent in 1992, um, our first missionary. Uh, I, we sent a missionary because I met Brother uh, Dr. Bud Calvert in Manila, 1990, at, a, at our Beyond My Field conference, and he challenged me to send out missionaries from our, our uh, church from our ministries to different countries. We'd never done that, but he just gave us a vision to do that. And, and uh, I went to visit uh, Haiti. That's just like a month or two after that. Came back, and one of our staff members, just the right person, surrendered. And has been there for 19 years now. But after he'd been there a couple of years in Haiti, raised his support in the Philippines, went back to Haiti, had started been a, there a few years. There was a very difficult time in that, that country's uh, uh, history because the, the UN actually invaded the country. And there was so much turmoil, turmoil with the president there. And, and, um, and so I wondered if he was going to, you know, maybe he's discouraged, he's going to leave. So I was able to call him, which is very difficult, and got on the phone. And when I got on the phone, I immediately found out he was not discouraged at all. He was excited. He was excited. And I, I said, why are you so excited, Brother Lenny? And he said, well, Pastor, he said, I've got the best. He said, the, the price of land has gone down so much because nobody wants to buy land now. And the exchange rate has gone way up, and we're going to be able to get land now for our church. He was excited. And you know, there's always something. We don't like the bad things, but the bad things are, are good for us because they have something good in it for us. Uh, number three, uh, a servant leader has initiative. I want you to notice that Joseph, every situation that Joseph was put, was put in, he took the initiative to solve a problem. Uh, when he got to, uh, uh, he, he was able to identify the need in, in each place. When he worked for Potiphar, he noticed that Potiphar's problem was he needed someone that he could trust his money with someone that could run his business. And when he got in the prison, he knew that the, he, he, he felt like the need was that uh, the prisoners needed a better place to live. And so uh, he, he took the initiative. Initiative is that quality of doing things without being told. Initiative is, and you, know, you can always spot a good leader 
because they, even if they're placed in a lower position, because they see something that needs to be done, they do it. For the chapel, I've heard say on tapes many times, see the need and take the lead. And he's a great example of that. He can see things that people need and just will, though he's busy, will solve that problem for them or work on that problem. And um, um, if we want to be leaders, uh, we, uh, servant leaders, We'll have initiative. Initiative comes from a burning desire to accomplish something we consider worthwhile. And that desire has to come from within. It's, if, you have, if you don't have a lot of initiative, it's, or if I don't have a lot of initiative, it's because my heart's wrong. Because we, live in, we have the greatest cause in the whole world. Of all people, we should have a lot of initiative. Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, Through desire a man having separated himself, seeketh and intermittleth, intermeddleth with all wisdom. That means that when a man desires something enough, he will separate himself. He'll get so focused on what he's doing that God will give him wisdom to do what needs to be done. And God can give us whatever God gives you, whatever your dream is as a pastor, as a Christian worker, if we will get focused on that dream, it's God-given dream, like Brother Willett said last night, something that God gives us, God will give us a wisdom to do it. And um, how do we take the initiative? There's four things that, Potiphar, that Joseph did. Number one, he identified the need. He, when he went to Potiphar, he found out that he needed someone to trust. And Potiphar needed someone that he could uh, trust. Uh, the prison needed someone to give the prisoners hope and encouragement. And Pharaoh needed someone that, needed, uh, that could save the nation for him. He identified the need. Every situation he took and found out what needed to be done. Number two, he found a solution. Every, every um, situation he was in, he found a way to solve the problem. Um, most of you are pastors. I was hoping a lot of assistant pastors would be in here. Oftentimes, those of you that are pastors have people that work for you and maybe for me that, that come to us with problems that they could solve themselves. And often I'll tell the, the people that work with me, if they could solve it all, I'll tell them, you know, don't bring me problems, bring me a solution. Tell me about it, but tell me the answer. And that's the way they grow. The people that we mentor will not grow unless we give them a chance to by letting them solve some of the difficult things that we have. And um, Joseph was the kind of person that, that was able to find a solution. Number three, he delegated responsibility. The Bible says the whole prison was under Joseph's supervision. The Bible says the whole household of Potiphar was under his supervision. The Bible says the whole nation was under Joseph's supervision. I've noticed something at this church. Pastor Chapel has delegated work out to people and they get the job done. I mean, it's just everywhere. First night I was here, someone asked me, where do you, Brother uh, um, Brent asked me, where, where do you want to eat? And uh, I told Brother Blim, I, well, how about In-N-Out? It's my favorite place. So uh, Brother Matt Chapel took me out there and we went in to eat and we got in there and we were getting our order and I was so hungry to eat that good food. I hadn't had an In-N-Out burger for a long time. And, so we got it, and we went up to get our orders, like number 85, and they called us up and went up there with Matt. And, and uh, one of the, one of the, I thought it was crazy, one of the, one of the um, tenders, the waiters, what do you call them? I can't remember the English term. But somebody was at the counter was, who was serving us said, I want to give this to you, sir. It was a track, Lancaster Baptist Church track. I mean, here's a guy working up there, give me a track. I said, well, thank you. He said, you know, I want you to read this. Then he said, there's a man over there, he pointed to the drive-in window. There's a man over there who gave this to me to give you. I looked out there and it was Mike Ray, Pastor Mike Ray of all people. He's laughing. You know him, he's crazy. <laughs> Mike Ray's there. 
He said that. He was like, he thought I needed it, I guess. But anyway, he delegates uh, responsibility. Number four, he takes action. People were following him because he's doing what a leader should do. You know, leaders don't wait for things to happen. They make things happen with God's help, of course. You know, people don't care how much you and I have to work. They don't care how how, uh, much we have to sacrifice. But when they see something that happens that's good, they they get excited. I'm sure most of us pastors don't understand how how much work went into this conference, how much time uh, Pastor Chapel and the staff spent uh, getting this conference to be what it is. But when people see this kind of thing, they get excited. And uh, where does initiative come from? Initiative comes from within. And, and here's the question. If, if it, does it take something to motivate you and me to, to do something for God, to accomplish something, a good sermon, a conference? I love this conference because I get a lot out of it. But if it takes a conference to get us motivated to work, then our, there's something wrong because our motivation should be there all the time. We should, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ had so much initiative. Every day he got up, he was, on, he was ready. He wanted to reach people. He wanted to spend time with his father. He wanted, he wanted to accomplish something. He continually reached people. He continually mentored his disciples. He commit, continually worked and helped and served people. No one had to tell him, Let's, you know, you need to get up and work harder. No one had to tell him, you know, you need to be more responsible. No one had to tell him, uh, you know, you need to plan better. And you need to work harder. He had so much initiative. Why? Because it came from within. He wanted so much to please his father and to do what he had sent him to do. The next point is we'll, we'll look at the story of Joseph. He's in the prison. And you recall the story of the butler and the baker. They offended the king. And when they did, the, they were put in prison. And they were put in the same part of the prison where Joseph was. And so the captain of the guard made Joseph the person that was responsible for them. And I think Joseph could really identify with them because he had fallen from his position. And they had fallen from their position. I mean, they'd, they were... Uh, had gone from serving the king to serving time, and, and that can be very depressing. And in uh, verse 4 of uh, chapter 40, there's a little phrase there you can see there. The Bible says in verse 4, And the captain of the guards served, charged Joseph with them, and he served them. He served them. A servant leader strengthens others by serving them. Jesus said that the greatest is a servant of all, and if we want to be a spiritual leader, then uh, we need to be servants. And, you know, people, I found out this in the ministry, whether it's in the Philippines or here in the United States, it doesn't matter. People know if you care for them. That's really what they, they care for most. They want to know if you love them. And they know if you love them, if you serve them. And they will overlook a lot of things. I'm not talking about sin, but you may not be as qualified to do some things as others. You may not be as talented. You may not have the ability. But if you love people, they're just going to respond to you. Most people, not everybody, but most people will do Your love and your service give strength to them. And um, you know, there, there's, there's so many people that all they need is someone to be a friend of them. All they need is for someone to spend some time with them. I was invited a couple of months ago to, to our police station there in Elo City. I, I go there from time to time. And I was invited to speak on, um, about serving our community. And uh, while I was there, you know, our, our police department's a good police department there, good men, basically. And um, people don't really 
appreciate them like they would policemen here. Overall, the community wouldn't. And I was trying to encourage them, and I told them a story that I like about a man named Cincinnati. I'm sure a few of you would have heard of him. The, the city of Cincinnati was named after him. My dad grew up in Cincinnati, and so I heard his name growing up just a little bit, never knew who he was, and so um, I read his story one time and thought I'd share it with him, shared it with these policemen, a man who served people. He, was, he lived in the city of Rome about 500 years before Christ. When Rome was a very small city, it wasn't an empire, it was just a not, a, not a little place, but it, they had their own army, but it wasn't a big army. And he was a, a person who um, was in the government there. He was a, he was a ruler of the Senate. The, the city of Rome was run by a, what they called the Senate, and uh, he ascended to the highest position, was there for a few years, and after a few years of serving, he felt like he should step down and let someone else leave when he really didn't have to do that. And so um, when he stepped down, he went into private life again, and it just so happened that his, one of his sons got in trouble. Cincinnati was a wealthy man. He made a lot of money, honestly, and because of his work ethic. And um, he uh, spent everything he had to get his son out of trouble. And finally, when he lost all he had, he, he, all he had was a little lot, a little plot of land across the river from Rome. And so he got, went to that place, built a really small house for him and his wife, and plowed the field and didn't even have enough money to hire a helper, just plowed the field. But he lived in a village there, and the people loved him and respected him because if there was ever a problem in the village, he would come out and they would talk to him. They would, it, was, it became so common, the people in the village say, just go to Cincinnati. If you've got a problem, he'll solve it for you. He'll find a way, and he did. He didn't have any money, but he had a lot of wisdom, and, and he cared for those people, and he would solve a lot of problems. And, he, and um, so in that same... In that same area, near Rome, there was a there's some mountains there, and there was a very uh, group. There was a very wild group of uh, a men, a, a tribe called the Achai. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. It's A E Q U I. And but he, it was a, a tribe of men who hated the Roman city, hated the Romans. They boasted that someday they would come to that city, beat the walls down, set the city on fire, kill every every man in the city, and take all the women and children as slaves. But the Romans never took it seriously because they were just wild men and, and they had their army and weren't worried. One day, um, the Roman army went out and um, they were on a, some kind of exercise and, and um, something happened. The Roman city, five horsemen came in one day and they were, the men were bloody and dirty and when they got off the horses, they went to the Roman Senate and the people gathered and they told the story of what happened. The, the army had been passing through this narrow mountain pass on the way back to Rome. When they got toward the end of that long gap, they, the uh, entrance was, the, the, the end of that mountain gap was blocked by this tribe of people, and they had lots of the men up on the mountains, and they were shooting arrows down and throwing rocks down, and little by little they were killing the Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers tried to escape to the other end, and they blocked that end too. They just had a really good plan to trap the Roman army. And slowly but surely, they were killing the Romans one by one. And when they finished, they planned to go to the city and burn the city down and do all the things they'd boasted of doing. Ten, ten very brave men got together, and they decided they would, they, would, they would just break through the line. And if they all died, they all died. But it was better that way than to face certain death in a slow manner. And so they, they, those ten men made a vow. They wouldn't stop. And five of those men, fortunately, made it through. Five of them were killed. The five came back to Rome, told the story, and the city went into a panic. 
And they wonder, what are we going to, you know, finally the, the Senate got together and they said, um, you know, we need, to, uh, we need to find someone, that what they called a magister populi, the power to dictate. We need to find a dictator, someone that can save us from this problem, but who could they trust to do this? And one of the Roman senators said, the, the, in the city said, um, do you remember Cincinnati several years ago? We can trust him. So they sent a delegation of men across that river, went to his farm. He was farming when they found him there. They told him the situation, begged him to come and help save the city. He, he agreed, went inside his house, had his toga that he wore in the Roman Senate, put it on. When he walked through the streets of Rome, the people were so fearful because he had the power of life and death. That first night he was there, first day he was there, he called all the men in the city to come together, divided them up into two groups of men, the, the cavalry and the infantry, and he went out to fight several days later. He surprised the enemy and cut them to pieces and, and saved most of the army. And they came back, they marched toward Rome, and he was at the head of the army. When he came into the Rome, the people were just cheering. And I mean, he was the hero, and he was the unquestioned ruler of Rome, had the chance to rule, really, as long as he wanted to. But instead, he went to the Roman Senate, and he took the, the piece of paper called the fascist. You've heard of the fascist party, the power to dictate. That piece of paper, as long as he held that, could, he would be the dictator of Rome. And he brought that piece of paper back to the Roman Senate and said, here's your city. I need to go back to my farm. He had, he had ruled for 16 days. And, you know, he's an example of being a servant. Several of our speakers have, have said, you know, it's, it's, it's our example that matters. It's not so much what we say to people. It's who we are, our actions. We know speak louder than wor words. And you and I as leaders cannot make people to be something that we're not ourselves. And I think that if we want to be a spiritual leader, we, we have to be servants. The next point is um, found in chapter uh, 41, 40, the story of Joseph. He interprets a dream, and, and um, the baker takes three days to, um, he tells the baker that in three days he's going to have his head lifted off, and he tells the butler that in three days he's, he's going to stand again before Pharaoh. And as we know in verse 23, the Bible says that butler for, forgot Joseph and was ungrateful and stood before the king until two years later the king had this dream and all of us know the story this seven he dreamed that seven fat cows came out of the river and seven skinny cows came out of the river and ate the seven fat cows and had another dream similar to that and he was troubled and could not interpret the dream and the, and the butler remembered his friend or the man that had brought him out of prison and he told the king, I, I, there's, a, there's a man named Joseph in the prison. Chapter 41, if you would look at verse number 14. The Bible says, And then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And the verses that our brother Willette mentioned last night in verse 16, And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not me, God, shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. You know, if it had been me... <laughs> I would have said, look, I, yeah, yeah, I'm the one that will interpret your dream. I interpreted the butler's dream. I interpreted the, the baker's dream. And Pharaoh, I'm going to interpret your dream. But this man was a, was a servant leader. He gave God the glory. And a servant leader always gives the Lord the glory. One thing I appreciate about this church, it's not just Pastor Chapel, but especially him, is that he is a humble person. He gives, he, I've been around him for, known him for 13 years fairly well. 
been with him not a lot of times, but when it has, it's been personally with him alone a lot of times. He's a very humble man. And anything that God has done through him, he's given God the glory. And, um, you know, we have nothing to really be proud about without, you know, we're, we're nothing. With, we have to remember that without you and me, God is still God. Without God, you and I are nothing. God is, is every reason why we serve is, is to please and honor him. I'll skip to the next point. In chapter, 17, chapter 41, verses 17 to 36, Joseph interprets this dream. And he tells, about this, he tells the king about the seven skinny cows or seven years of famine. They're going to eat up the seven plentiful years of, of grain. And, and he's going to make a decision at this point in verse number 33 to 36 where he is going to save the nation. He said, Pharaoh, let us save in the good years one-fifth of all the grain and save it for the bad years. In verse number 39, the Bible says that, um, I can find it here. The Bible says, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee this unto thee, there shall be none so, so discreet and wise as thou art. A good leader, a servant leader, uses good judgment. It doesn't mean that we never make mistakes. How many of you have ever made a really dumb mistake in a ministry? Huh? No, no, we all have lots of them. <laughs> lots of, but but a, a, a servant leader rarely makes a fatal mistake, a, a, a large mistake, a big mistake, something that, is, that, that, um, that really ruins him. And uh, because he uses good judgment, there's four things that, that we can do to have good judgment. Number one, we all know that we can ask God for wisdom. The book of James speaks about that. Number two, we walk with God. It was God that told Joseph the plan to take to save that country. Number three, we can live by principle, not feeling. I can imagine these Egyptian people, when they heard there were seven years of plentiful grain, the natural tendency was, let's go spend it. <laughs> let's have a good time. But Joseph said, no, let's save. Let's be careful. Let's save for when the famine comes. And as I've looked back, and I've tried sometimes to try to analyze the mistakes I've made in ministry, I would say most of the bad mistakes I've made is because at the time I felt like I really had to do something. The back, but at the back of my mind, something said, you know, you just, you know, you better be careful. Maybe it's not good. And have you ever, have you ever said something to somebody because you're emotional or you're upset or you're bothered, and five minutes later you say, why did I say that to them? Have you ever done that? It's because we don't live by principle, but by our feelings. And uh, Joseph lived by principle. Number four, we get wisdom by seeking godly advice. The last point is Joseph's leadership was proven under pressure. A spiritual leader is proven under pressure. Joseph had lots of pressure. All of you men that are pastors have a lot of pressure. Doesn't matter if you have a new church, old church, if you're a young pastor, older pastor, we live with pressure. Joseph had lots of it, though. He was, when he arrives, he's a young man and he's a slave. Uh, when he, he was unjustly put in prison, false accusation always brings pressure, doesn't it? A for, he was a foreigner and had no family to help him when he was in trouble. He had to stand before Pharaoh and interpret the dream. Just to stand before the head of a country would be very difficult. But to realize that your, your, your future freedom depended on interpreting a dream, performing a miracle for the king. There was so much pressure. He had to leave the country through the most difficult time in a famine. 
He had to please everybody. Potiphar's house had to please everybody. The prison had to please some very difficult people. Leading the country, extremely hard. But, but Joseph proved that he was a good servant leader because he, he accepted the pressure, he solved the problems, he bore the burdens, he made the right decisions, and he won the victory. When nobody else was willing or able, Joseph did the impossible with God's help. And, you know, pressure is a word that we don't like. But, I, you know, pressure is not really that bad. It's not bad. The purpose, God has a purpose for pressure in our lives as pastors and missionaries. You know, pressure is resistance. We talk, you know, when someone runs, they build up their resistance. They get stronger because they run a lot. They get tired when they run. I used to run when I was in high school. I wrestled a lot. And on the part-time, I mean, during the off-season, I was on the track team. I, I wasn't fast, so I ran the two-mile. It took a lot of resistance. You had to learn to run a long time to run that race. And at first, you get tired. But as you run, the, the more miles you run, the easier it is to run two miles. And pressure is, is just like that. And in the short terms, when we have a problem and we just get, man, there's pressure and we have to do something. We don't know what to do. And we're praying and we're deciding. And we think, well, I wish I didn't have to go through this. But what it does for us as leaders, it makes us stronger for the long term. There are things that I can do now that 20 years ago would bother me a lot. It's just little now. But when I was younger, it would have bothered me a lot because I just had to do a lot of things that were hard. How do we overcome pressure? And I'm not a very good example of this, but I know what the answer is. It's our close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, and I said, 26 verse 3, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Anytime we get sidetracked or overcome, it always goes back to the same thing. We're not seeking the Lord. We dwell on the burdens, the circumstances, the problems of which we have no control over sometimes. But we can control one thing. If I want to, I can control my relationship with my Savior. And in the end, that's really what gives us peace in the storm. And you know, a lot of times our pressures that God gives us, God allows us to have, are to keep us from our own self. If we didn't have problems, a lot of us would just self-destruct. A lot of us can't take success. I prayed a prayer not recently. I won't tell you how it ended up, but I was praying. I said, Lord, I really like you do this, but I understand if you don't, because when, I, when you do something like this for me, sometimes it's hard because I don't walk with you. I'm not as, I wouldn't be as close to you as I was today because I was having a problem. I, and it wasn't, I wasn't asking you to solve my problem. It was something else I was just asking for. And it's true. Sometimes when we pray, if, we, if God gave us every, the answer to our prayer, like Brother Fisher said this morning, sometimes he says no. It's for our own good a lot of times. It's, it's, God gives us a burden to carry to save us sometimes from ourselves. I'll give you an illustration. I'll close. 1938, there was a hurricane that went through New England, which is a place where they have hurricanes, but they're not so common. It killed 600 people. It was in, um, there was a bridge at a place called the White River up in New England. I don't know what state it was in, but I read that the bridge was at a place called the White River. It, it, it uh, brought two communities together. And as the bridge was, went out during the, hurricane, or during the hurricane, it would, um, it would just be extremely hard for those two communities to exist properly. And so they, they were trying to figure out how could they save that bridge. It was an old bridge, and they were afraid that the winds were so strong and would sway the bridge and it would go down. And Nobody could think of an idea how to save it, and it didn't have much time to figure it out. Finally, one engineer came up with an idea. 
And he thought, you know what, if we could take this, take a, a train, something really heavy, and roll that out on the bridge and, and weight it down, then maybe when the storm comes, that bridge won't fall. Now, some of them didn't like the idea, but they didn't have any really much choice and they did it. And the engineer was right, the, the hurricane came and because the train was there, it was weighted down, it didn't break. And God has given you and I a lot of times in our lives when we, we don't realize that we might have fallen, we might have gotten away from him. If things are too good, it's just really hard to enjoy success in it too long. It really is. And God, God put something in our lives that we don't like, but it's necessary. And in the end, God's a loving God. He, he gives it to us not only to save us from ourselves, but also to help us to be able to lift greater burdens. And the next time we have a burden that bothered us when we were 25 years old, time we're 50 years old, that didn't bother us at all because we've been through things like that. And I think about this church, how much I love this church. And as I've seen them, people I have here that have with the chapel and people have sacrificed so much had so much pressure that they've gone through and yet they've been faithful. And the reason why is because the relationship with our Savior is so strong. They've had the burdens, but they've had a humble spirit when they went through it. And God has used them. Thank you for listening to the Ministry 127 podcast. Today's lesson was on seven qualities of a servant leader with Dr. Rick Martin. 